Today's intro is brought to you by Conspiracism. You can't spell conspiracism without racism. Yes, today we're looking at a very particular and peculiar set of suppressed histories. Those that claim Aotearoa New Zealand was first settled by an ancient Celtic people. Yes, now we first covered this particular theory all uh, the way back uh, 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 did Josh, no we haven't. This is a new topic. We've never talked about this before. No, this is a back to the conspiracy episode. We've definitely gone over this before. No, that's not true. That's fake news. That's just disinformation. Why do you hate our listeners, Josh? Why are you lying to them? Are you being paid by big history to make people think that all that is new is old again? No. Are you in the pocket of heterodox history masquerading as orthodox history? Are you subscribing to mainstream historical textbooks that tell people the Romans really existed and that the Greeks invented pizza? No. Are you a shield for history textbook manufacturers who are in league with the League of Nations, who only pretended to be subsumed into the United Nations? Josh, why are you lying to the public? You finished? Uh, let me check my notes. Yes. Okay. One, you believe in Romans. You don't stop going on about the bloody assassination of Julius Bloody Caesar. Two, pizza was originally Greek, just like pasta was originally Chinese. Three, you know I don't read books, so I'm not going to take money from publishers. Four, I'm not a crook. Five, we have talked about the Catholic colonization thesis on this podcast before. Six, I am not a number. Fine, but I humbly protest this malarkey that we've talked about this before. Fine, you can suppress the history of this podcast all you like, but today... Whether you recognise it or not, we're going back to the conspiracy. The podcast's guide to the conspiracy, featuring Josh Addison and M. Dentith. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy in Auckland, New Zealand. I am Josh Addison and in Zhuhai, China, they are Dr. M. R. X. Dentith. We're going back. back, back to the past, which is where the past traditionally is located. It's true. The, at least. the past mm. is very rarely found in the future. Although I guess if you're a historian and you're looking into the past, you might be predicting you're looking into the past at some future point, at which point the future is past prologue or something of that particular ilk. Yes, but not only are we looking at the, the past history of this very podcast, we're looking at past history in general. Well, except that we're kind of not. Well, no, no. So I think no, no. Yeah. So I think we're making we're looking at claims about history, not historical claims. I think I think the word historical there is doing more operative work. So it has to be claims about history, not historical claims. Yeah. Well, I mean, since they happen some time ago, well, they are historical claims about history. This is going to be a very pedantic and semantic podcast, isn't it? Yes, there is. Uh, and, and if we're being pedantic, then we have to um, stick on ceremony and play the proper sting before we um, get into now, the George, Do we have anything I mean, to talk about well, before no, no, we... No, when we talk about proper stings, is this a reference back to the fact that last time you edited an episode, you used the wrong sting? I did. I used the wrong sting. And today's the day I redeem myself in your eyes if no one else's. Well, I mean, I mean, I hope that's true. I hope the episode goes out with the right sting because if you get all of this preamble and then it turns out you put the wrong sting in, then either that is hilariously funny and deliberately so or a tragedy. Well, you see, that's, that's my insurance. If I get it wrong, I'll just say it was me making a hilarious joke and I'm, I'm covered either way. 
But I do, I do. The, I, th- I think the Back to the Future, Back to the Conspiracy Sting, is possibly my favourite of all stings. So I, I don't think I can resist putting it. You in. said that about the Conspiracy Theory Masterpiece Theatre two weeks ago. Yeah, but I, me- I mean it about the Back to the Conspiracy one. So you're basically telling me that you lie to me all the time about which themes you like or dislike. I'm pretty sure you already knew that. Um, so, do you have anything? before we carry on into the main episode? No, I'm just going to sit here in a huff now because I have no idea whether what you're saying to me is true or false. Well, get used to it. Buckle up. We're going back to the conspiracy. Right, enough beating about the bush. We're talking about the Celtic (laughs) New Zealand hypothesis. About the New Zealand bush. About the New Zealand bush that will come into it, yes. And that's not a euphemism, people. That's how we refer to the forested parts of our country. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 a perfectly normal term here. It does not refer to any American presidents or pubic thatching. Now, <laughs> pubic thatching is a great <laughs> phrase. It also, yes. I mean, it, it also sounds like if we recall back to a character who hasn't appeared on this podcast for quite some time, Penis Ricochet, the famous Belgian de- de- detective. I'm fairly sure that his British counterpart is pubic thatching. Almost certainly, but we're getting we're getting we're going off topic straight away, possibly by design, because this is kind of a. I don't know if it's a depressing topic. It's an annoying topic. I don't know. This was yeah, your although, bit noir I mean, for a while. One of the things which is in the notes here is, has anything of note happened since the last time we talked about the Celtic New Zealand thesis, the theory that the ancient Celts were the first people to colonise Aotearoa New Zealand? And we covered it back in episode 36 of February 2015 and episode 254 of February 2020. The notes say, has anything of note happened subsequent? And the answer is kind of, No. There was a period of time between basically 2015 and 2020 where the people who believed that Aotearoa New Zealand was colonised by the Celts were getting a little bit of press coverage from time to time. But basically that seems to have just disappeared or I've stopped reading the relevant publications like the Franklin E-Local. Either way, probably a good thing. Now, the theory we're going to be talking about, um, it's uh, let's let's uh, let's let's be uh, frank right up the front. It's a racist theory. Um, it is. It's, it's a racist, racist theory advanced advanced by racists, uh, and in particular, it's it's in, in particular basically you know it's it's a response to the idea that uh, the Maori people were indigenous to New Zealand, uh, got severely screwed over by the colonizers. Um, maybe we should do something about it. And, and, and this, this tries to negate that by saying, ha, 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 but they weren't. They weren't the indigenous people because there were other people here before them. Yeah, and those other people who were here before them, we only don't know about their existence because the Maori wiped them out. So ipso facto, it's fair that we've almost wiped them out because what's good for the goose is good for the gander, or some kind of, when you think about it, really, really specious ethical reasoning that goes, well, you know, if Group X has committed atrocities, we're allowed to commit atrocities on that group ourselves. Which, now I think about it, sounds very political and may well relate to events going on in the Middle East at this time. 
Quite possibly, yes. Uh, it is worth pointing out, perhaps, that on that note, there was a time in New Zealand's history where some people, possibly people who didn't know what they were talking about, uh, thought that there were, it, was, it was a very real possibility that the Maori people were going to go extinct. We have here in Auckland, um, Maunga Kiekia, otherwise known as One Tree Hill, which has a large uh, cenotaph on the top of it, a great big stone monument, which was built as a monument to the Maori people. It was like, ah, oh, it's going to be a shame to see those guys go. Here's a, here's a big thing in their, in their honour. Well, I mean, and disturbingly on that point, in the early 20th century, the, our parliament, so our governing body, actually did have a debate in the House, it's in the Hansard, the official record of parliamentary proceedings, about what to do about what they called the Maori problem. And they basically had two options on the table. One, they could educate the Maoriness out of Maori through the school system, so encourage them to enrol in largely white or Pākehā schools. Or two just engage in a bit of casual genocide to get rid of them. And our parliament, in all its supreme wisdom, decided that genocide was a bad idea, so it would just be better to eradicate the culture through education instead. The enlightened early 20th century, ladies and gentlemen. Gotta love it. Uh, so, to, to this particular hypothesis that we are devoting this episode to, the Celtic New Zealand hypothesis is basically the claim that pre-Maori people settled Aotearoa and either died out before the arrival of the Maori or were wiped out Yeah, were by wiped them. out by the Maori. So it was um, you, you were the person who kind of started calling this the Celtic New Zealand hypothesis? Yeah, so, so the, the history of the term is complicated. So there's an American New Zealander by the name of Martin, and I think his last name is pronounced Dutre, but A, I don't know, and also B, because he's a racist, I don't care, who wrote a book called Ancient Celtic New Zealand. It's one of those kind of large coffee table books which contains within it pictures and diagrams that's meant to be evidence of an ancient Celtic occupation in New Zealand. And so because of this book, I referred to this thesis as the Celtic New Zealand thesis, because the book is called Ancient Celtic New Zealand. But Dutre himself does not consider the people that he catalogues in Ancient Celtic New Zealand to be actual Celts, he takes them to be peoples related to the Celts. So he will claim he's not talking about an ancient Celtic New Zealand thesis, even though his book is called Ancient Celtic New Zealand. So yes, I did technically coin the phrase, but I coined the phrase with very good reason, thinking yeah. that was what Martin Dutre was actually trying to suggest in a book called Ancient Celtic New Zealand. Right. Um, that, yes, that was the first one. There's another book. There's this um, fellow oh, Maxwell yeah. C. Hill. Yeah, yeah, this is To the End of the Earth and Back Again. There are two versions of this book. I've read both. It's one of those books where the first version was so bad that when the second version was announced, so it's, I say second version, second edition was announced, I thought, oh, he's going to edit it and make it tighter and possibly slightly better argued. 
But it's one of those classic cases of someone writes a second edition and they put back all the things they were encouraged not to put in the first edition. So the second edition is even worse. I think he recounts the story of Aristotle two or three times in the course of the book. It's all, and not in a way which tells you anything new or exciting. It's just, for some reason, he's really, really fixated on the ancient Greeks. Because whereas Dutre thinks that Aotearoa New Zealand was colonised by a group of people related to the ancient Celts, Hill believes that the country was colonised by a coalition of ancient Egyptians and ancient Greeks. So, yeah, he, he, he thinks that there are people trying to get to the Americas but ended up in the wrong hemisphere. Some, I guess unless they're going to South America. But anyway, um, and, and also, he, 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 as I understand it, talks about two waves of pre-Maori colonisation where the bunch of people came down here and then other people found carvings in Polynesia that, that guided them here again or something. Yeah, so Hill's thesis is it's, it's kind of interesting in that his thesis is the ancient Greeks and Egyptians are trying to get to the Americas. And basically they get waylaid in Polynesia and end up going in the wrong direction. So they head south rather than east. And so they end up in Aotearoa. Now, along the way, they are leaving carvings and signs of their travel. So when these people don't come back from their American sojourn, the Egyptians and Greeks go, oh, we should send a another set of boats to try and locate what happened to the first set of boats. And those boats are able to then navigate to where these people got to originally because they're able to take the signs and portents, basically, left behind by the first trip. Which seems a slightly weird and, and overly elaborate theory. But, well, I mean, um, basically he's trying to explain why an expeditionary force was able to engage in colonization because you need a large enough population. Mm. So you need basically a second wave to then explain how these ancient Greeks and Egyptians were able to live for a long period of time down under before being, in his his terms, not ours, wiped out. Right. Because they can't have been wiped out because they weren't here. Mm. Now... It's all well and good to say, okay, there were people here before the Maori, but um, it would be expected that if someone's going to make a claim like this that they would actually front up with some sort of evidence. And these guys, they do cite evidence. It's perhaps not as convincing as it could otherwise be. So the one thing that Dutre is really, really interested in is spiral carvings on rocks, which he takes to be a classic Celtic design motif. So once again... His book is called Ancient Celtic New Zealand, and a large chunk of his evidence is spirals are a design motif found in Celtic culture. So why he denies it's an ancient Celtic thesis, I really don't know. I think it's mostly to go, oh, I've been misnamed by dentists here. It's not actually what I believe, because it is what you believe, Martin. You're just not willing to bite the bullet that someone else coined the name for the thesis you're now associated with. Now, of course, the thing about spirals is that, A, they're quite easy to draw. Technically easier to draw than a circle. Yes, you just have to start drawing a circle and then this. Yeah, but the other thing is that if you've spent any time in the bush back home, you see spirals a lot in nature. 
because most of our ferns, you know, they start from a curled up to then, is it is the term unfronded? I would say it's unfronded. Unfurled, unfronded, they unfurl, yes. Yeah. So, so spirals are actually a common natural feature found in plant life here. So it would be kind of unusual for the indigenous population to not copy things they see in nature. But yes, apparently spiral patterns are only found in Celtic societies and only Celts would think to carve spirals into rocks. And speaking of rocks, there are apparently apparently mounds of them that are that are supposed what what, what do they say they are Celtic cairns or something, which may may be natural formations or or placed there by Maori, but he denies that if they are non-natural formations that they can be placed there by Māori because the mathematical alignment of these rocks is so perfect that obviously only an advanced people like the Celts could have worked this out. Now, of course, we're leaving to one side the fact that actually Polynesian peoples are actually quite good with numbers. Uh, So Bobby Hunter... Need to be if you're going to navigate. Yeah, but also uh, traditional... Weaving patterns are numerically complex. So numbers are not something which Polynesians have any particular weakness in. But the biggest issue with the kind of evidence that Dutre works with is that he will show you a map of a series of rocks on a plane. And then he'll select the rocks, which he takes to be important, and then show that mathematically the relationship between the important rocks is really interesting. And that seems like post-facto reasoning. We're going, I'm looking for a mathematical relationship between sets of rocks. So if I exclude these rocks here, then I get the relationship I want. But if I put these rocks in, then suddenly that mathematical relationship just disappears. And, yeah, there's also the um, rock walls, not not just mounds of rocks, but but, uh, rock faces. In particular, there's the Kaimanawa wall, which... um, Looks. Geologists say oh, yeah. so, it's just a natural feature. Yeah. So this wall looks interesting because it has a lot of vertical and horizontal cracks in it that make it look as if it's a series of blocks that have been put in place. Now, geologists think it's a natural outcropping of ignimbrite. Ignimbrite sounds yeah. like a geological term, yes. Yep which has fractured in a particular way that makes it look as if it's a series of blocks set into a wall or into a cliff face, but actually isn't. And actually, if you spend time at the Kaimatama wall and you take a pin or a long, narrow object and actually try to actually push it into the cracks, you'll find that the cracks don't go all the way back. It turns out it is just fracturing. It looks like it's made of brick but actually it's just natural fracturing, which happens in these kind of rock formations. But no, apparently that wall is evidence, along with other stone structures, of ancient Celtic colonisation sites. Yes, and there's a bit of that. But um, it's not just, to, to, to their credit, it's not just archaeological evidence of this kind. They also get into a bit of a bit of biology, a bit of folklorology, a bit of... Bit, a bit, bit, bit more biology, but animals. So they, um, there's the the rocker jaw thing, which I thought went out with phrenology. But um, oh no, these people love phrenology, Josh. They love skull mm. shapes. They love jaw. They love jaw shapes. 
Yes, so there's there's this idea that Polynesians only have what's called a rocker jaw, um, which means that if they find any bones here that do not have rocker jaws, well, they can't be Polynesians. But that, yeah, I remember... I've I've read stuff from the late 1800s that was talks about skulls and jaws and stuff and was was a little bit dodgy back then. So I'm not quite sure uh, that they're on any uh, on, on solid ground there at all. Um, but in terms of other bone bone remains, there's rat fossils. So apparently, at one point. It seemed, because um, this is a, a thing we've said here before, New Zealand has no native land mammals. Uh, the only, most of our native... Oh, no, 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 no. We, no, we did, we did. We had an otter once, but that otter is well gone. Oh, did we? Uh, yeah. That's a shame. Uh, but basically, mostly bird life and the only uh, native mammals around here, apart from the long-lost otter, is uh, dolphins, aquatic mammals, and bats avian mammals, um, <clears throat> which means the terrestrial mammals are basically all introduced, uh, and that goes certainly for the rat, which was thought to be introduced here uh, by the Maori. Now, at one point, it seemed like fossils showed that they, um, they, were, they were there beforehand, which means someone else must have brought them. Uh, but it looks Wait, like so in this case, a... not actual fossils, bone remains. Bone rem- oh, yeah, sorry. I, I always think of fossils as bones, but they're not, are they? They're rocks no, in the shapes of bones. No. Yeah. 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 So basically, there's a few series of sites in the, I think, the lower North Island where we find the remains of Kiori in a layer. So Kiori is the Polynesian rat in a layer which seems to predate human arrival in Aotearoa, New Zealand. We have to be careful about the terms we use here because. There's the human arrival phase, which is when Polynesians first started arriving in the, in this country. Not in this country. I'm in China, in your country, Josh, our country. Mm. And then there's the human occupation phase. So Kiori probably came with humans during the arrival phase because they were on board ships and then would have continued during the occupation phase. So there are a few sites that seem to suggest that Kiori are here before the arrival phase. But these results are disputed because there are worries that the way that the bones were collected has led to contamination. So it is actually a huge debate in archaeology as to whether these... Now, see, I'm, I'm saying fossils now. These bone remains have been dated accurately. But people like Duke Train Hill will go, oh, oh, this just shows if the Polynesian rat is in the country before the Polynesians arrived, how did it get there? And even the archaeologists and biologists who believe that the remains dating is correct are going, well, we might just be wrong about the arrival phase. So we think that Polynesians arrived at a particular date, it actually isn't beyond possibility that Polynesians actually could have been visiting or locating this place 100 or 200 years prior. The rats could have got there at that stage. Nothing about the rat remains, even if they indicate arrival by human beings as earlier than expected, actually shows they were brought here by Celts, Egyptians, or Greeks, especially since Ooh. the Polynesian rat comes from Polynesia. Well, the kind of rats you get in the 
era of the world the Celts, the Egyptians, and the Greeks lived are a different kind of rat entirely. And uh, from little rat bones to giant bones, there's also been talk around the boats of giants, but we'll leave... We'll leave the giant bones talk to one side for a moment because we're going to be, coming, we'll back. be coming back to it. We're we going to be, be coming, coming back, back to, to the it. giant bones. Now, another thing that shows up a bit is um, is, is actually Maori folklore and the idea that there are these the, these stories of people uh, which which can be interpreted as saying that that, that they were sort of red haired, white skinned people, and there's there's some sort of oral oral tradition of talking about them. In Maori culture, which again seems to be a bit of a a bit of, of if not um, if not misinterpreting uh, evidence, then sort of even being willfully blind towards what people who actually know about the stuff say about it. So there, there there is folklore, but I don't think it means what they think it means. No, so there are fey folk in Maori mythology, people like the. Turehu and the Patapatehe, and they're often described in some accounts as having red hair and being fair-skinned. There's actually a very interesting theory in anthropology because you actually find red-haired, fair-skinned people in folklore in a lot of countries. So a lot of the countries in Africa have similar kind of faith folk theory uh, stories. One theory behind it is that albinoism is even more striking amongst dark-skinned folk than it is amongst light-skinned folk. And albinos have unfortunately been... Well, actually, so sometimes albinos have been treated as mystical and special and thus deser- deserving of protection. Sometimes albinos have been taken to be abnormal and deserving of death. But there's often been this thing, this theory in anthropology and sociology that albinoism is often taken to be a marker of the unusual and fey folk often have those unusual markers associated with them. So one of the theories as to why the Turuhu and the Pataparehe are often described as having red hair and fair skin is this theory that it is a kind of quasi-explanation for why albinoism does sometimes occur within the Maori population. But it's, once again, it's a case of taking, and this is a crude way of putting it, fairy stories and then claiming they must be literally true. And it would be interesting to ask people like Hill and Dutre as to whether they believe in the reality of leprechauns and fey folk in Western European countries. Because if they say, oh, those are obviously fairy stories and we don't take them seriously, why do they take these stories seriously and thus being evidence of some kind of hidden or suppressed history? So all of these theories do appeal to a bunch of evidence, but none of it really seems to be particularly solid. And it it does seem to be a case of people just Having, having having made up their minds about a theory and looking for evidence to support it rather than going out and, and noticing weird and interesting evidence and coming up with something to account for it. Uh, it's all just sort of interpreting stuff that other people, and indeed one would say experts, already have a, a completely different explanation for. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Now at this point, at this point we talked about originally, we did have to say, okay, hang on, this is once again we're we're a podcast about conspiracy theory. So where is there a conspiracy angle to this, which is basically a bit of your old sort of suppressed history type stuff? The the, the idea is that people are 
it's not just that people don't know this stuff, it's that people don't want you to know this stuff. And so there is some sort of a conspiracy to, to keep the truth suppressed. And the weird thing about this conspiracy is that the only people who can be basically making this conspiracy work would be e- would be Iwi, the Māori tribes, and the Crown, the largely Pākehā-orientated government of Aotearoa, New Zealand. And if you know anything about race relations in this country, or anything about the political situation in this country, you'll be aware that the Crown, the Crown will occasionally say sympathetic things of being in harmony with its treaty partner, the Māori. But the Crown doesn't actually do much proactively for Māori good, Māori welfare, or, or doing anything to kind of solve the problems of colonization. So why the Crown would be involved in a conspiracy to suppress the history of the country, which would indicate if this history were true, that actually the descendants of the Pākehā who colonised this place are actually also the descendants of the people who originally colonised this place and were wiped out by Māori makes absolutely no sense. The conspirators in this case, it doesn't make any sense that they've been involved in a conspiracy which actually disadvantages them. Mm. So not only is the uh, historical theory uh, doesn't really hold water, but the the conspiracy theory also doesn't really um, have a lot going for it. No. Now that that's what we talked about uh, originally back in 2015 when we brought this up. Uh, then in, in episode 2020, we had episode 254 featuring what might have been our best titled episode ever. Uh, they might be giants, but they're probably Moabones, because a story came up in 2020 that uh, that, that that a bunch of folks who were were, were they actually related to the Celtic. New Zealand theory guys, or were they a different bunch? They seem to be people who were in sympathy with them, but I don't think they were actually directly related mm. to them. So, I mean, usually when you talk about the Celtic New Zealand thesis, we're talking about Martin Dutre, we're talking about Maxi Hill. There's another character called Noel Helium who was also involved in these kind of tall tales. The people in Huntley who were tunnelling into the side of a hill seem to have been in sympathy with these people, but I don't know they actually featured these people amongst their amateur archaeology team. Yes, but what they were doing was, as you say, tunnelling into the side of uh, Waikaritu Valley Road in Huntley, but south of Auckland, uh, because they were looking for a cavern that supposedly contained seven to eight foot tall giants, or rather the bones of these giants, of pre-Maori origin. I don't know why they thought that to begin with, uh, but they did They did believe that there were three or four sites around the country which contained such remains, and so they believed that... Um, by digging into there, they were going to find this and rewrite the history of New Zealand. Now, they did find bones, I believe. Uh, so I'm not sure if it is that how it got started, do you think? They'd heard about these large bones had been found there and decided, ah, this must be one of those places where there were giants. I mean, it seems that that's the most reasonable interpretation to take. So, yes, obviously they'd heard stories about there being 
a cavern which contained within it bones of large and unusual size, which normally back home, if you're talking about bones of large and unusual size, you're probably talking about mower bones. Mowers for people who are not from New Zealand are basically the emu or the ostrich of Polynesia, except they're really, really big, and they've been extinct for quite some time now. In fact, we didn't even know about the existence of Moa until, I think, the beginning of the 20th century, where the first bones were found. And then people going, oh, there used to be these really, really, really big birds here. I mean, there used to be a really, really big eagle. We had the largest eagle in the world back home but it's been extinct for a long time. It has, unfortunately. Yes, I mean, like I say, no no real uh, native mammals, so a lot of uh, ecological niches were were filled by good life. Birds with very, very thick skulls because their primary way of getting food, because they can't fly, because we have a lot of flightless birds Mm. back home, they can't fly, so they run at high speed at trees, head first to knock the nuts out of the trees. So they have to have very, very thick skulls because otherwise they would either be giving themselves concussions or killing themselves whilst trying to eat. It's a wonderful country for birds. It really is. But, yes, so, so there are there are very large, uh, I mean, go, go look up Moa, M-O-A. Go, go, go. You, you can find pictures of them. You can find pictures of their bones. Um, in fact, there, there was a, there's a, one that does go around the internet a bit of that uh, Moa talon that was found in a cave it's it's uh, the the bird equivalent of a hand um of a moa species was found in a cave still with like skin and stuff on it and the word sort of goes around as the what the hell is this cursed looking thing but it's just the core of a really big bird and their, their bones their leg bones were considerably larger than a person's leg bones so if you looked at one and were assuming that it was from a person it would have to be a bloody big person uh, but it wasn't. It was from a bloody big bird. Nevertheless, these people uh, believed that they were going to find a bunch of giant bones buried somewhere in Huntley, uh, and they were digging in the side of a road which ended up tunnelling into the land on the side of the road, which was not land that they owned. And I believe when the landowner found out, they weren't particularly happy about it. Yes. I'm back home, you'd say that, say they were bloody furious. They were bloody furious. Yeah, so apparently the farmer, like when the when the, the the owner of the land found out, they were annoyed that it was happening. They were also annoyed that people had assumed that they had like given their assent and they were part of this people, looking to prove that that um, Maori weren't here first. But nevertheless, these these people they had a website, they had a blog. I don't know if it's still up or not, and I do not care to check. Yeah, I haven't looked at it for quite some time. I so. I found out about it whilst doing a casual search for Celtic New Zealand stuff online and found this blog. And when I found the blog, I went, should probably tell someone about this. So I actually contacted the local iwi. I contacted the Huntley Council. I basically said, are you aware that there appears to be some illegal archaeological digs going on back home? Because archaeology is something which has to be done with great care back home. We have an entire Department of Conservation team which is devoted to the archaeology of the country and we're very we want to make sure it's done properly above board and with appropriate experts. And I got in contact with them 
and basically nothing happened. Although eventually something did happen. Eventually, yes. So at the time, they said on their blog, uh, what's the quote? Maori, as we know them, did not possess an empty land as taught in the school books these days or as printed these days in the media. Polynesians, Greengrocer's apostrophe, in fact, came to a land already occupied and then they conquered it. What is inside our cave when we finally reach the cavern part will eventually prove this. So there, there are very much looking for evidence to prove that Maori were not the first, were not the indigenous people of Aotearoa. Now, they did, they did some digging. They Yes, they, they, they found a large bone, which they thought was the leg bone of a large human, which people looked at and said, yeah, I'm pretty sure, that's a, pretty sure that's a more bone. It did eventually make the news. Radio New Zealand had a story about it, uh, and, and people talked about sort of, sort of old stories, old, old people who remember, who'd heard these stories of... Uh, crypts with giant skeletons in them and things like that and and, and stories from from uh, victims of the Spanish flu and World War II Japanese soldiers, lots of these old stories from all over the place. Nothing particularly concrete. Yeah, the closest thing we get to kind of a concrete detail here is that the as the RNZ story notes, in that area in Huntley, there have been rumours of a burial cavern or cave for quite some time. And so there was apparently, and we've put apparently here because this is all kind of second-hand or third-hand information, there was a point in the latter part of the 20th century where a road was being built and the people who were building the road basically cut into or through a chamber which had bones within it, which was then covered up as part of the, not not covered up in a conspiratorial sense, covered up as in part of building the road. But then rumours started to abound, what or who did these bones belong to? And that seems to be the motivation for the tunnellers. They know, or at least think there is, a cavern somewhere. I should point out, they were engaged in this dig for several years. And so they kept on making a larger and larger tunnel that needed shoring up and needed oxygen being pumped in. So they claimed that they were heading towards a cavern. They never found a cavern. They just kept on digging a longer and longer tunnel, which people now think was they were probably excavating a waterway that had collapsed as opposed to an entrance to a cave system. So... They were looking for a cavern that was rumoured to exist, but we actually have no evidence actually ever did exist. And um, unfortunately for them, uh, it never really worked out. Of course, you, I mean, you had a bit of, as, as you say, you were the one, you went and tried to um, announce to the authorities that it was going. You had a bit of, had some dealings with some of these people. Uh, in the original episode, we read out a particularly long Twitter exchange you had with one of these people that uh, kind, kind of involved the pair of you trolling each other to a certain extent. Um, and uh, but definitely did not um, did not produce anything of substance from this guy who was making all sorts of claims. In particular, they also had an old an old piece of wood which they insisted was the end of a, a string, like the, the the neck of a stringed instrument, but was much larger than the neck of any stringed instrument normally. Which means it must have been a stringed instrument for giants. Uh, and anyone else looking at it said it looks like it's the prow of a canoe, but apparently it couldn't have been that for reasons. Yeah. 
Oh, because apparently all canoe prowls look exactly the same, which indicates this person has never been inside a museum back home. No. Uh, but in the or end, the dick got... Boat. Well, yes, yes. Which, I mean, which I mean, takes this, some work yeah, in Auckland, yeah. This person must find watching pirate films astounding. You know, that's unrealistic. All of these boats have different figureheads. I mean, we all know boats have exactly the same figurehead. This is just, this kind of artistic license is going too far. Fortunately, well, unfortunately for them, um, the dig did, did get called off. They, they, I believe at the time, they tried to sort of say that they'd already given up when they got told not to do it, and, and therefore the joke's on you for, for trying to make them stop because they'd already decided to stop quite independently. Uh, one of them claimed that one of, them, uh, one of the tunnelers apparently is a Reiki practitioner and claimed to have placed a Reiki curse on the tunnel. Which, as, as, as you know, as, as we are such Reiki devotees, we're now very petrified of even going mm. through Huntley. In case our chakras or spinal alignments go astray. Mm. Uh, and they, yes, yeah, so, so they, uh, at the time they said, oh, okay, well, we, we know there are other sites, we're just going to go off and tunnel under the inn. Uh, and did seem to hint at some sort of sinister conspiracy behind getting them found out, even though they had been publicly posting it about it on their blog. Yeah, they seemed to be very, very surprised that because they had a blog which wasn't private, people found out about their activities. They mm. seemed to think it was very suspicious that people might be searching for activities like theirs when... No, I mean, if you just did a generic search for New Zealand history, you probably would have found it eventually. Mm. Or you looked for unusual Maori artefacts, you would probably find it as well. There was nothing hidden about what they were doing. So the fact they got annoyed they were found out. Okay, so next time, password protect your blog. Mm. Mm. So... That is, and, and that was the last thing we heard of, of anything basically related to the, the, the Celtic New Zealand hypothesis uh, in, in the media, and, and frankly, good. So it's been interesting to look back, um, because it's, uh, yeah, like you say, for a while, it did seem to be kind of a thing, um, but it's, it's sort of faded out, and uh, I would not be surprised if... if um, some of the, the, the conspiracist types, some of whom are now members of parliament in this country, have a bit of Celtic New Zealand stuff worked into their, their now wide-ranging uh, conspiracy theories around vaccines and, and absolutely everything else. But um, at least they're not particularly public about it. No, I mean, there was a point in time in the 2010s where Noel Hilliam and Martin Dutre would either write into the New Zealand Herald and get into the letters to the editor's page, or even have short articles devoted to Dutre has found yet another unusual stone in Auckland with a carving that cannot be explained. And so for some reason, there must have been someone at the Herald who was willing to go, oh, I'm willing to bat for this thesis by giving them a few pages every year. But that seems to have luckily dried up. Hmm. So, um, yeah, there was really no reason for us to be talking about this at all. So we're going to stop, and then we're going to go and record a bonus episode for our patrons, none of whom believe in the Celtic New Zealand 
hypothesis as far as we know. Yes, as far as we know. We're going to talk a little bit about a, a bit of real estate from the looks of things, a bit of meat eating or not, as it happens, a bit of Alex Jones, maybe a bit more podcast talk, and maybe, maybe we've been lying to you this whole time and there is a bit of an update about the well, Celtic New Zealand yeah, so thing. We're going to talk about an attempt at a documentary that Martin Dutre tried to make. And because I can't publicly talk about some of the information, it has to be in the bonus episode. So if you want to find out about the documentary that Martin Dutre tried to make about the Celtic New Zealand thesis, which apparently is not the Celtic New Zealand thesis, it's the Celtic adjacent New Zealand thesis, then you're going to have to subscribe to the podcast and find out. So yes, if, if that's something you'd like, uh, patreon.com, look for the podcast, is going to the conspiracy, and that's all you need to know. And uh, yeah, I believe we're done. Let's never speak of this again. Or until we do back to back to the conspiracy. Back to back to the conspiracy, yeah, which who knows? I wouldn't rule it out. Back to life, back to society. Back to reality. Back to then one of us. I don't know. We're quoting we're we we one of us is misquoting eighties song lyrics, so I think it's time to call things uh, to an end, which I'm gonna do in the traditional manner by saying goodbye. Goodbye. The podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy stars Josh Addison and myself, Associate Professor M.R.X. Denton. Our show's conspiracy producers are Tom and Philip, plus another mysterious anonymous donor. You can contact Josh and myself at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com, and please do consider joining our Patreon. And remember, remember, oh December, what a night.